Ask someone what their favorite Christmas movie is, and most will answer with one of the classics. It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street, A Christmas Story, Home Alone, White Christmas, Elf, which I don't understand, <laughs> or maybe the Santa Claus. Inevitably, someone will say, Die Hard. <laughs> After all, it was Christmas when John McClane saved Nakatomi Plaza. A lot of folks, however, object because they just don't think of Die Hard as having the proper Christmas spirit. Ask someone what is their favorite Bible verse at Christmas, and most will answer with one of the classics. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Maybe Matthew 1, 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Or John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What if I suggested the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? If you're not immediately familiar with it, let me read a portion of it to give you the gist of it. This is from Luke 16. If you want to open your Bibles there, navigate on your device, we'll be there a little bit later. Luke 16, beginning in verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in hell... He, Hades, rather, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. I'll bet none of your Christmas cards featured that parable this year. More than a few folks would object to that as a suitable text for Christmas. It seems to lack the proper Christmas spirit. It might surprise you who did think of the rich man and Lazarus as an inspiring Christmas tale. None other than the man who wrote perhaps the most endearing Christmas fiction of all, Charles Dickens. First published in 1843, it has never been out of print. There are umpteen dramatized or animated adaptations of it. There are new ones every year. I'm, of course, talking about A Christmas Carol. There's good reason to believe that the Dickens classic has its roots in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. First, there's a rich man. Ebenezer Scrooge, who sees his death. There's a poor man, Tiny Tim, who's going to die. Second, it's made clear that Scrooge is headed to torment in the afterlife. Third, around the time A Christmas Carol was published, Dickens wrote a short biography of Jesus for his children. He titled it, The Life of Our Lord. The parable of Lazarus and the rich man was one of only eight stories that Dickens chose to include in that volume. So he was very familiar with it and it was endearing to him. And fourth, probably most importantly, the Sunday after Dickens was buried in Westminster Abbey, Dean Arthur Penryn Stanley, preaching on exactly this parable, spoke of Dickens as the parabler of his age. Stanley said, and I quote, by Dickens, that veil was rent asunder, which parts the various classes of society. 
Through his genius, the rich man was made to see and feel the presence of Lazarus at his gate. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus is, if you'll pardon the pun, the diehard of the parables in more ways than one. From this day forward, every time you see or read a version of the Christmas carol, it's my hope that you will think of this parable, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, because it really did inspire it. Uh, By the way, many scholars, and I would agree with them, argue that this is not so much a parable as it is a true account. We call it the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, but a couple of things happen in it that don't normally happen in a parable. For example, this is the only story like it where Jesus gives people names. The other parables feature characters, but not names. Here we have Lazarus named, Abraham named, Moses named. And so this is most likely a true story and not just a parable. Now, the first thing I want to say is that the parable isn't about being rich. It's about being right, specifically being right with God. Jesus was talking with men from a sect of the Jewish religion known as Pharisees. They considered themselves right with God because of their meticulous adherence to the written laws of God. For example, in one place we're told that these guys were so meticulous about giving God 10% of their wealth that they gave 10% of their spices. Can you imagine? I use basil leaves a lot. They're pretty tiny. So these guys would go to the market and buy what, you know, basil in a bag, and then they'd get home and they would divide it out, hopefully by weight. Well, I don't know if you can weigh basil leaves. Not on the kind of scales they had. And so I guess they counted out the leaves. One, two, three. How, how long would that take? Maybe, maybe they only used uh, oregano. Who knows? But that, that's what they're, they didn't want to, they didn't want to skimp on their 10%, and so they counted their spices. Here's what Jesus had to say about that. This is from Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. And so you can kind of see here where Jesus was coming from. Their problem wasn't that they were rich, it was that they were not right with God. Behind all this is a fundamental biblical principle. It was stated most clearly by the Apostle Paul This is uh, from the book of Galatians chapter 2 in a uh, paraphrase called The Message, but I think it really captures the thought. He says, we know very well that we are not set right with God by rule keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? We tried it. We had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. Are you trying to be good? Do you think that if you do more good than bad, you will be accepted into heaven when you die? I think that's the prominent view that people have. Most people don't think about uh, heaven too much. They, they uh, don't like to consider eternity. Uh, But if they're pressed, they think, well, I'm I'm a pretty good person. And what they mean is that they're not as bad as somebody else. And and they hopefully at the end, they think the scales will weigh out. If you believe that, then you're the rich man in this Christmas tale. Because you need to be rich in faith. That's the quality that you need. Rich in faith, as we'll see, in Jesus Christ. If you're not, you are the poor rich man. 
And so he might have had this world's goods, but he had nothing that he needed for the afterlife. Let's meet the rich poor man. Lazarus was beyond poverty. He had to be carried to the rich man's gate just to beg. He was covered in foul sores from head to toe. The household dogs had it better than him. They at least did get the table scraps. And so they would eat the table scraps he was hoping to get and then come over and lick his sores. And that was the only, uh, if you can imagine, that being a comfort, that was the only comfort this man knew, the, the licks of dogs on his sores as the rich man passed him by each day. It was unthinkable to a Pharisee that such a person could be accepted into heaven. His condition was to them a sign of God's displeasure. He was getting what he deserved in their minds. So you have to understand how their theology played out. Their works-based theology where they thought that they could keep God's rules and be right with God as a result of it taught them that if you did that, God would bless you financially and uh, materially. And since this rich man was doing well, he felt like he was right with God. And then the opposite would be true in their minds, that if somebody was impoverished or sick or a beggar, they deserved it. God was judging them. And so they, uh, you know, they had a foil for their compassion. Uh, they didn't need to show compassion to the poor or the impoverished because uh, God had obviously judged those individuals. It wasn't simply that the rich man lacked compassion. His works-based understanding of God's law encouraged him to actually despise Lazarus. The story is not about being poor either, though. It's about being poor in spirit. Jesus promised in the Gospel of Matthew, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lazarus' afterlife destination proves that he was among these poor in spirit. He was one who was rich in faith in God to save him. And so this parable is not about money. It's not about how you spend your money or benevolence or anything like that. It's about a fundamental difference in what it means to uh, enter the afterlife, whether it's by works or whether it's by grace through faith. And this poor man, poor in spirit, sees the kingdom of heaven because he is a believer in the God of Abraham. We read elsewhere in the Bible, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The poor rich man and the rich poor man died and both arrived in a place called Hades. It's a temporary abode for the spirit when it leaves the physical body at death. And so in verse 24 of Luke 16, then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. I find it interesting in passing that the rich man knew Lazarus' name. I doubt he knew it in life, but he knew it in the afterlife. The Bible is pretty informative regarding the afterlife. It doesn't tell us everything that we would like to know, but it tells us everything that we need to know. Uh, the moment you die, your spirit leaves your body. From the creation of the world until the time of Jesus Christ, the spirits of all deceased individuals went to Hades. It's described for us here. It's divided by a chasm 
into two areas. One is a place of bliss and comfort. It's called Abraham's bosom in honor of the father of the Israelites. It was called paradise by Jesus. You might recall the story of Jesus and the thieves on the cross. Uh, to one thief who believed in Jesus just before he died, Jesus said, you will be with me today in paradise. And so Jesus' name for Hades was paradise. The other is a place of unrelenting torment. The other compartment or the other side, however you want to deal with it, on the other side of the chasm is a place of torment. Now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ three days after his death on the cross changed the population of Hades. He descended there, the Bible says. He took those in paradise with him to heaven. He took those spirits with him to heaven. Now, when a believer dies, he or she is said to be immediately absent from their body and present with the Lord in heaven. And so the moment that individual is, is deceased, uh, they are alive and in the presence of the Lord if they are a believer. Jesus left behind in Hades all those who were not right with God by faith. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, when you die, you will go to Hades to await a final destination, which is hell. So I think we understand that. So believer dies, absent from the body, present with the Lord. The Lord is in heaven. What's that like? I don't want to get off on a tangent, but uh, we, we see in uh, an episode in the life of Jesus when he goes on what is called the Mount of Transfiguration. And he meets there with Moses and Elijah who had died centuries earlier. Yet the disciples who accompanied him up the mountain, they recognized Moses and Elijah. Those guys had not received a resurrection body they still haven't received it. They're waiting for the second coming of Jesus uh, for that. But uh, they had substance and they had form and they had consciousness. And so you're a believer, absent from the body, present with the Lord in heaven. You're not a believer. You're in a place of temporary holding. You're in the holding cell in Hades. Itself a place of torment, but not anything like the lake of fire, which is hell. Death abruptly ends your opportunities to have faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. There is no second chance after death. I wish there were. I wish two things might be true. Either that there was a second chance after death for people, because then like Lazarus, everyone would know it was true, or that people who died that didn't know Christ were simply annihilated as if they never existed. Uh, but that's not true. Neither of those are true. Jesus is very clear about it. Jesus spoke a great deal about the afterlife and about the fact that your decision needs to be made here in this life in terms of your destination. The poor man realized all this and he begged for his family on the earth. Verse 27, then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, you would send him to my father's house for I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. Is there really a place of torment after death? Is it forever? Speaking about hell, John Walvoord wrote, According to the Bible, hell is just as real as heaven. The Bible clearly and explicitly teaches that hell is a real place to which the wicked, unbelieving are sent after death. We've all sinned against God. The just punishment for that sin is death. Since all of our sin is ultimately against God, and since God is an infinite and eternal being, the punishment for sin, death, must also be infinite and eternal. Hell is the infinite and eternal death which we have earned because of our sin. Now, having said that, I, I am quick to say you don't have to go there. In fact, God has gone to great lengths to keep you from going there. 
He has revealed himself to mankind and shown the way to heaven. This Christmas season, we celebrate God in human flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. God's plan from the moment Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden was to come himself as a man taking their place in death, offering a perfect sacrifice so that we could be restored to God. And so God is on top of this. This is, you know, hell is, is not a place. Uh, he says he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And so no one needs to go to hell. They go there by choice. In verse 29, Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let him hear them. Abraham's testimony was that God has revealed himself sufficiently for a man to have faith in him, thereby entering heaven after death and avoiding hell. To an Israelite like the poor rich man, he had supremely revealed himself in their scriptures or what we call the Old Testament. And so the Lord could be found uh, by a Jew. He, he could follow Father Abraham and believe God and it would account for him righteousness. That believing in God, people have always been saved the same way by believing in God. It isn't that in the Old Testament they were saved by works and now we're saved by faith. No, we're always saved by grace, God's free gift through faith. And so uh, Abraham said, you have the scriptures. You should know uh, how to be saved. Today, we have even more. We have the Old Testament and we have the New, which gives great commentary on the Old. We understand more than uh, any generation has ever understood. So then people argue, well, what about those around the world that have no Bible? What about those who have never heard? Well, they have the witness of God's creation to their conscience. In fact, in one place, God said he was the one who scattered men everywhere in the hope that they would seek after him and find him. And so people raise this as an objection. Well, there's people around the world who have no Bible, even in their own language, and, and so, so you know, God can't be telling the truth. And God's uh, answer to that is, yeah, I scattered them there. And though you don't understand it, I did it in the hope that they would seek after me and find me. And so God is about the business of revealing himself. And he has a lot of different ways of doing that. And so if a man or a woman doesn't come to know God, uh, they are personally liable for it. They're accountable for it. Because God has a witness of himself everywhere. He is not willing that any should arrive in Hades or afterward be consigned to hell. Verse 30, and he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. And so the poor rich man reasoned that if Lazarus rose from the dead, his brothers would believe. In what classic Christmas tale does a man return from the grave to warn his partner? Well, that would be Jacob Marley in A Christmas Carol. And so no matter how you slice this, it's abundantly clear that Dickens had this parable in mind as he wrote. You know, all great stories are Bible stories. All the great things come out of the Bible in one way or the other, and this is one. A lot of people do demand a sign from God. It seems like it would be effective, uh, but it's not. Just a short time later, Jesus would raise a man from the dead, and by chance, his name was Lazarus. It wasn't this Lazarus. It was another Lazarus, a friend of Jesus. And so this Lazarus says, hey, if, if or this rich man says, if somebody rose from the dead, then people would believe. And so Jesus did that. And instead, the Pharisees and the other religious leaders began to plot to kill both Jesus and Lazarus. It's insane. 
I guess they got together and said, hey, we can't have this guy raising people from the dead, proving that he's the son of God. That would undercut all of our system here. Let's kill him. Let's kill both of them. I always feel bad for Lazarus, the one who was raised from the dead. I mean, you make it to the afterlife, you're in the Abraham's bosom, you're hanging out with Moses and Elijah and Isaiah, you're asking and getting all your Bible questions answered. It's, you know, just totally cool over there. In more ways than one, but. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is calling your name. I wonder if the other guys laughed. <laughs> See you later, buddy. Then you get rose from the dead. You're, in, you're all wrapped up in grave clothes. I, I guess he had to hop out of the grave, you know, because Jesus said, would one of you please unwrap him? He's like a mummy. And then you find out that people want to kill you now. It wasn't bad enough that you died from natural causes and that you were already in, in paradise. Now they're going to try and kill you. And so it's a, it's a not, I don't know if that's a good day for Lazarus or not. Scrooge sees tiny Tim's death and his own death and destiny, and it stuns him into action. And you know what? The parable of the rich man and Lazarus is meant to stun you into spiritual action because it tells you what is going to happen to you depending upon where your riches are. The action isn't to do more good works, like buying a turkey for the Cratchits. It's to realize that no amount of good works can save you but that faith in the risen Lord Jesus Christ does. And so Dickens ultimately took liberties with this story. Now, Scrooge doesn't get saved. He just becomes a nicer person. And so from our perspective as evangelical Christians, he's a nicer person on his way to hell <laughs> because he still doesn't know Jesus Christ. Uh, and so, uh, but at the same time, that's why Jesus told this parable and to, to these unbelieving Pharisees, that if there was any of them that were sincere, and by the way, the Pharisees, they, they, they certainly deserve the bad rap that they get, but they were extremely spiritual. They started back in the Old Testament, probably during the time of Malachi, as a group of people that was seeking God. And then they got corrupted over the years because they started putting the emphasis on works and thinking they were righteous because of their outward works. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there couldn't be among them those that were thoughtful and actually seeking God. And when they heard about their friend, the Pharisee, and Lazarus, they would know this, these individuals from their city. And if they would believe Jesus that this was a true story, that he had insight into the afterlife, it would be pretty stunning. Uh, it, it, it would be a thing where it could wake you up. And that's why, you know, I, I, people joke about preaching hellfire and damnation, those kinds of things. But hellfire and damnation is part of the gospel in, in the sense that those who reject the message of eternal life are uh, not headed to heaven. They're headed to Hades and then to everlasting torment. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I don't want to put it lightly, but that's really all you have to do, but you have to believe it. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is God come in human flesh, born on Christmas Day, as it were, but he was born to die on a cross for your sins and for my sins that he's the perfect sacrifice, the only way 
There is no other religion that has the God-man. All other religions, well, I don't want to say all other, all religions are works-based. You have to do things in order to be right with their deity. You can't get to heaven by deeds because the problem is deeper in the heart. It's not an outward problem at all. It's an inward problem. And the Bible says that only God can discern between the spirit and the soul and speak to you and save you. And so if you don't know the Lord, confess him and ask him to come into your life. Call upon the name of the Lord and then talk to someone you know here who has identified themselves as a Christian or come up and pray in a few minutes. We're gonna have some guys up here to pray with you and let us lead you in a prayer to receive Christ. But um, it's an odd Christmas text, I'll admit, but it's an appropriate Christmas text. It might be one of the great Christmas texts of all time. Uh, Dickens certainly thought so. And I think Jesus thinks so for you this morning. Amen.